The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. But turn now in your copy of God's Word to Galatians 5. If you don't have your own Bible, just stick up your hand and one of our ushers have a Bible there. Maybe if you forgot it or you just uh, uh, don't have one, uh, we would love for you to just take that as our gift to you. And uh, you can follow along there. Galatians 5 is on page 567 in those Bibles. We're continuing our series this morning called Uncommon Community. And we're looking to the scriptures to teach us how to relate to one another. We want the scripture to shape what our church should look like and define the characteristics of our small groups. And so the Bible has these one another's throughout the New Testament teaching us these things, but they are not merely just moralistic teachings of be nice or don't hit one another, but they are faithful reflections of Christ and how we are to live. Jesus himself demonstrated how to live a God-glorifying life, and he invited us into this glorifying life, this vertical living, and he gave us his spirit to equip us and empower us to live this. And so uh, we're in this uncommon life, this uncommon community called the church, and today we turn our attention to God's command to serve one another. And now we're not just talking about a volleyball serve. Ready for it? No, just kidding, just kidding. That'd be dangerous, right? We're not talking about getting served our court papers. We're talking about this command to serve one another. And Galatians 5 has some instructions. So turn there if you haven't. We're going to be in verses 13 to 15. I want to read it for us. Give us a little background and then we will exposit the passage. Here are these few verses. Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word. Galatians here, the book that we are parachuting into, is likely Paul's first and earliest letter. It was written to a region of churches, which is today modern-day Turkey, and he wrote it to this region of Galatia. It would be like somebody writing a letter to our Texas Great Commission Collective churches. We're in a region, a part of the whole, and he's writing here about 20 years after Christ lived, rose again, and was ascended into heaven, and the gospel had been spreading throughout Europe. Paul and his counterparts had been planting churches in these cities, and even as they were being planted, already false teaching was creeping in. They embraced that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the core of the gospel. But here in these churches, in Galatia, there had been false teachers that were coming and uh, teaching these believers that they now needed to go back to the Old Testament law in order to stay saved. Yeah, you might be saved by grace, but if you want to stay there, then you better follow all 600 and some laws of the Old Testament. They were teaching things like you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, as this was a a sign of the covenant. It's not unlike some of the uh, errors today surrounding baptism. 
uh, highlighting the sign and missing the significance or the heart behind it. They were also uh, teaching all of these food laws and dress things that you had to keep all of these things as a way to show as a sign of just how spiritually mature you were. Not unlike some things that we see in different circles today of a certain type of dress being a symbol or a sign of just how spiritual or how godly somebody might be. But what is missed in all of these things is the heart. The reason why we live as we do, we, uh, we miss the heart. We get the cart before the, ho- the horse. We miss out on it. So what Paul is doing in this letter as a whole, and particularly our three verses for today, is he is putting that horse back out in front. He's peeling back the layers of religiosity to get down to the heart. And so here's the big idea. Here's what Paul is driving at in our verses that are instructive for us today. He's saying this, we are saved to serve. We are saved to serve not the other way around. And actually, it is a tragic error if we reverse those two things. If we think that we serve in order to be saved, that is a grave mistake, beloved. Have this clear in your mind that we are saved to serve and not the other way around. Because if we get this wrong, we will find ourselves at the end of our life before the Lord and he will say, away from me, depart from me. I never knew you, you doer. Of lawlessness. We must have this right. We are saved to serve. And that order is important. So let's look a little bit closer at our passage now to make sure that we get this right. Since we are saved to serve, we therefore, the first point, if you're taking notes, we rush to opportunities. We rush to opportunities. See, as, I, as I've said, Paul is confronting some errors in their thinking, in their teaching, in the life of their church, in their community. He's having to come back and, and, and kind of sort out some, some errors, some misperceptions. And so after confronting these things, particularly in the verses ahead about circumcision, he takes them right to salvation. Look at the words there. He says, for you were called, you were called to freedom. And this idea of being called he's, is he's referring to our salvation, that which God has called them, that gospel call when Jesus called us to, our, or called us to himself. That moment when you were regenerate, when you came to Christ, when you were born again, Jesus was calling you to himself, just like he called to Lazarus, a man who is dead, we too being dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus called us forth from the dead to himself, raising us to new life in Christ Jesus. And so what he's saying here is you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called in grace. That's what he's referring to. We're free now from the law. We are free from the demands and the burdens and the obligations that, we, uh, that were once demanded of God's people. And this is glorious news, isn't it? I mean, who's tried to read through the Old Testament? Some of you maybe have. And you've gone into the, the, those first five books of the Bible, and, and it's just kind of like a, a head-scratcher, right? Who can keep all of those things straight? Anybody got it mastered? No, nobody has. The only one that has ever lived this life and fulfilled the law perfectly was whom? Jesus, that's right. Great. It's a Sunday school answer. 
but it was he who was only the only one able to do it. And so now what he's saying is you've been unshackled from the law. You've been unshackled from those things and you are free to run. You are now set free in God's grace. But what he's also getting at, he's saying you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom, set free from that. But just because you've been unshackled, don't let that mean now you can just run wild in your flesh. Now that you've been set free, that the restraint has come off, don't just use it as a means to to live for yourself, to live in your selfish inclinations. That's what he means. Look at the verse there. He says, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, flesh is one of those uh, New Testament terms that's not just like referring to our skin and tissues and all these things. It's referring to our sinful inclinations. It's referring to the, that corruption that every human being born uh, since Adam suffers from. His propensity to live for ourselves, His propensity to do what is wrong. To rebel against the Lord. The law was given by God in kindness to be a restraint against that flesh. And now that that is no longer a burden to us. Now that that has been removed... It doesn't mean that we can just go crazy and live and, and trample upon God's grace. It's just like if Texas, they removed the seatbelt law, doesn't mean that now you can just drive hanging out the window and you know, uh, heading down the street. No, it's a good thing. It is there for our safety. But rather our freedom in Christ, what does it open up for us? An opportunity to serve one another. See, we are saved to serve. The law was once a restraint for us. Now love is the restraint. You see that? Look at the verse. Look at the end of verse 13. But through what? Through love. Serve one another. This is what we looked at a couple weeks ago. This is a characteristic of an uncommon community. We love one another because Christ first loved us. Love is what holds back our selfish sinfulness. Love is what holds us back. See, beloved, we were saved. We were set free from the law. We were set free from sin, not to live for ourselves, but to live for the Lord and to live for one another. And there's actually some irony in this verse. Paul, is, he's using a play on words that doesn't necessarily come out in our English translation, but he just said, you've been called to freedom. But this word serve here is not the typical New Testament word, diakonos, it's the Greek word, for servants, where we get the word deacon from. It's actually, uh, as I was studying, it was actually kind of astounded in it. It's actually the word for slave. It's the word doulos. It's a word that Paul uses of himself. He says, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus as he's writing to the Romans and Philippians and other places. And so the rendering of this, of this verse, that the command is actually be enslaved to one another, to be subject to one another. And this, is, this, this idea of, of slavery comes with some baggage, doesn't it? We as Americans, we have a history to be ashamed of in, in, in the, uh, what slavery has meant in uh, the U.S. and in the English-speaking world over the last several hundred years. And so Paul is using some irony here. We can't just like jump past the baggage. We can't just ignore it, even though it's kind of hidden here. We've got to reckon with this picture because ultimately, 
Here's, here's the other thing that we can miss is that the, uh, this idea of our slavery, our subjection to Christ is a part of our identity. It's a part of who we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our Lord or our master. And we are subject to him. He came. He bought us at a price. We are a people of his own possession. But this isn't something to be afraid of. This isn't something that is a repulsive idea to us. Because our master is a beloved master. The very words of the songs that we just were singing about. That is who our king is. That is who our master is. He is a good, benevolent, and kind master. Look how he reveals himself in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's our master. That's the one who has called us to himself and bestowed honor and dignity and love upon us. And that's, a great, that's in great contrast to our modern conception of slavery. And so we don't need to be afraid of this, beloved. We don't need to be afraid of this idea because the situations are very different in that our master is very different. And our love for one another is out of the overflow of that. Just as God has shown us great dignity and worth and honor and faithful love and mercy and grace, we then show that to one another. We show it to one another. It gives us honor. It, may, it, is, it is not a, a degrading thing. Rather, it is a very uh, uh, honoring position in which to be. This is a vertical concept before it is horizontal. And so this idea of us being enslaved or subject to one another is a part of actually our freedom. It's a part of what makes this body of believers so unique. It's what makes the church so uncommon that we have this benevolent master. We have this great and merciful God that then calls us and shows us how to live and calls us to love one another. See, we've been set free from the mastery of sin. We've been set free from the mastery of ourselves. We've been set free from the mastery of the law and now been bought by Christ. And so through love, we serve one another. Through love, we serve one another. And it's probably helpful to define this term, isn't it? It's helpful to define what serving is. It's one of those words in the Christianese dictionary, right? We use it a lot. We know we're not talking about a volleyball serve. What is serving? It is spending so another may gain. Serving is simply defined spending so another may gain. And it involves spending our time, our talent, and our treasure. We have all of those resources at our disposal. We have a currency in each of those that we spend on something. We can spend it on ourselves or we can spend it on one another. And so being saved to serve does not mean that we turn and go back to the law. It does not mean that we rush to opportunities for, to, to get ahead for ourselves. But it means that we rush to opportunities to spend so that others may gain. When we see these opportunities, when we see a death 
deficit, when we see a crisis, when we see somebody in need of help, we rush without hesitation. This is our great joy, and we who've been given much, we who have been served much by Christ, we have then the eyes to rush to the opportunities to one another. We serve one another when we stop to pray for that person. When we text them to follow up, to say, how has it been these last few days? We serve one another when we stop to hear the story of somebody who might be sitting next to you, a new person or a person in your small group. Instead of rushing off to lunch, we serve one another with our time as we genuinely get to know and follow up and meet and spend quality time with another person. We serve one another when we prepare during the week for our Sunday responsibilities. Do you serve in Redemption Kids that work that you do during the week as you're looking through the lesson, as you're looking through the verses? You are serving the kids and in, t- in turn serving we who are parents. As you spend the time, as you study, as you prepare, as you uh, look to make connections and to bring these, these gospel truths so that you can disciple our students. You are serving not just the kids, you're serving the parents you are serving our church that the next generation may know what he has done it you who serve on the worship team you serve as you practice your parts as you sing you serve your small group as you work through the pulpit curriculum before you come so that you come prepared you are serving one another spending your time so that others may gain we serve by making meals We serve by helping people move. We serve by helping pay bills when there's shortages. We serve by rushing to opportunities to help fix things or offer a hand. This is how we serve one another and we spend the currency of our time, our talent, our treasure. You know, this last week, um, this is about 10 days ago, um, a good friend of Aaron and I's uh, passed away and went to be with the Lord. His funeral was last Saturday, and we went over to Kerrville for it. His name was Dave Vineyard. I call him a friend. He was old enough to be my father. Um, but uh, we went to his memorial service at the church where we once served, and, and uh, Dave was one of those guys that, uh, well, let's just say it this way. In, in his memorial service, there was two things that were highlighted about his life. His great love for the Lord and his undeserving salvation and the legacy of his life of a faithful servant of the Lord. Dave never turned down an opportunity to serve others. Aaron and I were the benefactors of that multiple times. They opened our, their home to us. We, at that time, we lived about an hour from Kerrville, and so they would open their homes on Saturday nights if we were in town to let us stay there so we didn't have to drive an hour out and back in early in the morning to be at church. They would let us camp out there in the afternoon if there was a Sunday night uh, thing at the church. We could go to their house and, and, uh, uh, and spend the afternoon there, just crash and watch football or, you know, whatever. And as we had, uh, our kids were born, he became pop to our, our kids. He served us by being a faithful Sunday school teacher. He served us by, uh, in, in, in a myriad of ways through counseling. And that was just us. But his impact over multiple decades in this church was one of being a faithful servant. A man who, the senior pastor who'd been there for, he's been there almost 20 years, had said he had never been told no by Dave whenever an opportunity was presented to him. 
with no matter what he had on his, uh, on his plate. And l- let me just tell you this. Dave was a very active man, a prosperous man in business, very influential, not just in his business, but in, in uh, local politics and, and, uh, uh, and, and just a whole bunch of spheres. And yet he was a faithful servant, always rushing, rushing to opportunities without hesitation. See, here's a man who had a legacy. We have a legacy. May that be the legacy of our church, a life lived spending so that others may gain. That's what God has called us to. That's what it means to be saved, to serve, to rush to opportunities. And you know what? This call to serve, this call to serve is rooted in the great commandment. It's rooted in the great commandment. Look at verse 14. He says, the whole law, all those 600 plus laws of the Old Testament, he says it's fulfilled or summed up in one word. And now you maybe heard that or looking at that and you're like, one word? That's like six or seven words there. It's like a word, like it's an expression, all right? You know, it's not literally like one word here. Sometimes people will say like, good word, brother, you know, complimenting the preaching. Now, I didn't just get up and say one word. I guess you could, the only... I guess there's a few words. We could come up and we could say, Jesus. That'd be all right, sermon. (laughs) Or grace. Yeah, some of those big themes. But he's, he's saying, here's one word or one statement. And it's all summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's taking us back to, this is first written in Leviticus 19, verse 18. Moses had said it, and it's kind of tucked in there in that place. As you know, we joked about reading the Old Testament. It's tucked in Leviticus 19 about the place that many of us get derailed from our Old Testament reading plans because you're so mind-boggled about all these different laws and rituals and things. You're like, what in the world? And so we kind of close the book, and then tucked in there is this little phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Moses wrote to it. Jesus referred to it. Remember that when the Pharisees, they send a lawyer to play stump the pastor? They say, hey, Jesus, what's the, what is, what's the, the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? This is Matthew 22. They say, what's the, what's the greatest one? You can't stump Jesus. Let's just say that. What's the greatest one? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what Paul is doing here is the very same thing that Jesus did. And he's taking us back to the heart of the gospel. He's saying it's not about the law. It's not about following all these religious rules and things. He said all those laws are fulfilled or are summed up if we would just put this one into practice. He would say, if we would just love one another as you love yourself, if you begin there, then everything else takes care of itself. That's why this command isn't just another moral teaching. That's why our our call to through love serve one another isn't just a moral teaching, but it's a reflection of the gospel of Jesus himself. That's why it's not just a law to obey when we feel like it, but it's part and parcel of faithfully following Christ. See, serving one another is a fruit of being rooted in Christ. You know, our life as a believer is like a tree whose roots are sunk deep into Jesus. And as we are sunk deep into Christ and his word, out of that, bearing that same type of fruit that came from Jesus' life. This is what Jesus came to do. 
He came to serve. Take your Bibles, and let's, I want to show you a passage. Just flip a few pages to the right, to Philippians chapter 2. Turn your pages there. It's probably just a couple. You got Galatians, one more chapter, Ephesians, and then Philippians. All letters written by Paul to churches or groups of churches. This one here to a church in Philippi. And he gives this command to those believers there, again, rooted in Christ. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Whew. That's a heavy hitter. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's the very definition of serving or being subjected to or being enslaved to one another. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. You see that? Emptied all the place of power in which he stood, took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what Christ came to do. This is what Christ came to do. In Matthew chapter 20, Paul, uh, the writer there records the same things about Jesus. He said, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and he gave his life as a ransom for many. See, beloved, look here. Jesus served us in the greatest way by giving up his life for us. Jesus served us in the greatest way by giving up his life for us, by spending his very life for us. And in love, as the fulfillment of the law, he laid down his life. He laid down his life. And so our service, our service to one another, our serving one another, it's rooted in this great commandment. That great commandment is rooted and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We can serve till the cows come home, but it means nothing, nothing if it's apart from Christ. It means nothing if it's apart from Christ. And here's, here's something that we have to expose. Here's some wrong reasons to serve. Here's some wrong reasons to serve. We serve motivated by love through Christ, but a wrong reason is because it makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel good about myself. Yeah, I'm gonna go there because I like the warm feeling that I get. Wrong reason. Second, here's another wrong reason. It earns me points with God. Earns me points with God. Like we've got this scale thing going here. We know like, all right, well, I'm trying to like butter up to him. If I just serve enough, if I just do enough things, if I show up and I give a lot of time and I serve in this place and that place and I come into the church and I serve on multiple ministry teams, well, surely I'm gonna earn points with God. And that's what it's about, right? I get to the end and I've won. Then he'll let me in. Wrong order, wrong order. Wrong reason to serve someone else because it gets me on their good side. It gets me on their good side. I'm going to serve my wife because I want her to let me go on this fishing trip next weekend. <laughs> I'm going to serve my husband because I want to go out with the ladies tomorrow. I want, uh, like, 
I want to get on their good side. I want to butter them up. I'm going to bring an apple to school, kids, so that we can give it to my teacher, so that way I can, you know, hopefully I didn't study last night, and, well, I want to do good on this test. No. No, wrong, wrong reason. Last, because it erases a wrong I've done. Because I know I'm indebted. Yeah, I dug myself a hole. I'm in the doghouse. Right? You ever found yourself there on a Saturday, gentlemen? I know that I've done wrong, so I'm going to do all these things, and maybe she will forget about this. I know that I just offended a brother or sister. I know that, you know, like my, uh, my siblings, I, I did something. I've done this wrong. So if I, well, if I just serve them, if I bring them something, then it'll erase the wrong that I've done and hopefully they'll just forget about it. See, what's the motivation behind all these things? It's my benefit. It's my benefit, what I get out of it. And true, genuine, biblical, God-honoring, Christ-exalting service is spending for another's benefit because of our love for them. We serve because we are saved, not in order to earn something, whether it be from God or another person. Our service is an act of worship. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of faith. It's the fruit of being rooted in Christ and his word. So what are you rooted in? What motivates your service? Are you rooted in your own desires? Are you rooted in sin? Rooted in just living a life for your own gain? And I pray that God would do the greatest work through his son Jesus by his spirit and he would transplant you up and out of that and root you firmly into Christ. You can do that. You can do that even today. You're just saying, God, yeah, I've lived a life of my own. I've lived a life trying to do this. I'm, I'm here for my own purposes, and, and I hate it. But I hear what you're offering through Christ. I hear what you're offering through grace, through what Christ did on the cross, and I want that. I want to be rooted in that. If you turn to Christ, he will do that. He will root you in himself. That's his call, his call to freedom. If you hear that this morning, pick it up. Pick up the call to freedom. See, we are saved to serve. We are saved to serve, and we are called to rush to opportunities to, through love, serve one another. But verse 15 is the antithesis. Verse 15 is what happens if we don't do these things. If we continue to be rooted in our sinfulness, we continue to be rooted in the law, we must resist self-preservation. Here's what happens when we don't. When we, when we look out for our own interests, we attack one another like a bunch of starving dogs. We attack and we bite and devour one another. I mean, you've seen the cartoons, right, where there's like a, these like ravenous wolves or hyenas or something, and there's a piece of big juicy steak there, and they're just like, all of a sudden, they just consume one another, and it's a cloud of dust and a bunch of snarling and growling and fighting and all that. They're just biting and devouring one another, snapping at anyone who gets close smoldering at anybody, people who look different than us, snipping at other somebody that might be inconveniencing me and grumbling about having to go out of our way. That's what he's confronting here. 
He's saying, if we don't love and serve one another, this is what will happen in our relationships. A community that is consumed with self-interest and self-preservation will always consume itself. When a church becomes about me and what I'm doing and all the things that I've done and not about Christ and one another, it will always implode. And so we must hear the warning here. I say it in in love, but we must resist me. We must resist self-preservation or we will bite and devour. And it's probably been the experience of of some in this room. Been a part of a church that's imploded like this or a small group that all of a sudden this like grumbling came to the surface and and it was all about our, our self and we must fight those things. We must fight it. See, this self-preservation at first usually manifests itself in just grumpiness. This grumpy heart, and it goes downhill from there. Those thoughts of, well, I do so much for blank. The thoughts of, well, I'm the only one. The thoughts of, nobody else is blank. The thoughts of, I give more than anybody else. And if we dwell there, we get grumpy and bitterness and all the anger and wrath and malice, all those things begin to to, to fester in us and then we take it out on one another, biting and devouring until it destroys the good work that God is doing in and among us. We must resist it, guys. We must resist it. And do you know what the cure is? Do you know what the cure for that attitude is? The cure is a daily dose of I'm saved to serve. It's a regular reminder of I get to serve. I get to. It's a humble helping of the gospel. Of that reminder of if I wasn't saved, who knows where I would be, but I'd know I would definitely not be here. And now God has gifted me, God has put me here to love and serve these people and that's what's behind. See, our service to one another is why we join ministry teams. It's why we're in small groups. It's why we're in relationship to one another because God in his kindness knew that we would need a restraint to help keep our selfishness at bay. The people sitting next to you, the people in your small group, your, your marriage, those that are next to you, those that God has given you an opportunity to serve, it is God's kindness to keep your selfishness at bay and the gospel before us continually. And we serve because we get to, because God is kind to us. Otherwise, watch out or we will be consumed. Beloved, we can't lose our first love. Beloved, we cannot revert back to trying to earn favor with God. We cannot let our sinful attitudes ruin our relationships. No, all of these are headed in the wrong direction, away from Christ. Let us be a people in an uncommon pursuit, headed towards Christ, fueled by his spirit, going out of our way to love and serve one another for God's glory and their gain. This is a defining mark of an uncommon community. This is a defining mark of who we are as God's people. This is what sets the church and our relationships apart from any other relationship. Common relationships are all about getting my way, of using people in order that I may advance, in order that my agenda might be promoted. An uncommon community says, no, I love you and I'm gonna serve you 
because Christ loved me and he served me in the greatest way by spending his life that I might live.